Hello, and welcome to the Fad and Dad podcast. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. His friends call him Fad. I'm Joshua Burks. His kids call him Dad. And we're the Fad and Dad podcast, where faith is meaningful and wit is an occasional guest. Uh, you know what I didn't press? Start on the stopwatch. Ooh, I didn't either. So. Click. Welcome to Fad That's and Dad. No! Go for it. Oh, Don't. Welcome to Fad and Dad. Welcome to Fad and Dad, welcome everyone. Fad and Dad. Welcome, 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 welcome <laughs> to our dozen. And Nice to see you all again. So, maybe maybe <laughs> last week was a dozen, and is this week less or more? <laughs> Hard to know. <laughs> do, do, uh, have I told you where I've get my dozen and dozen like little wishful thinking vision from? No. So, uh, from 1990s uh, TV wrestling. Okay. <laughs> wow. So, uh, he's now the movie star, but The Rock. Yeah. You know, he would talk about his millions, and like the crowd would all yell, and millions, yeah. right, of fans. Yeah. And then there was a guy, uh, Mick Foley, uh, who had a variety of characters that he played, but he would make fun of The Rock. Uh, and he would talk about my dozens and the fans that all yell, and dozens of fans throughout the world. So Fantastic. Oh, man. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. So, yeah. So, uh, Father Andrew Dickinson, uh, fad of Fad and Dad. And, uh, yeah, just in our second episode, I'm revealing to you that I was a uh, TV professional wrestling fan in the late 1990s during the Monday Night War, as they were called. Now you know everything you need to know about fad. Now you know half of my passwords. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wrestling and The Rock and Peter's successors, <laughs> there's my attempt at a segue. Yeah, that makes total makes sense. Makes total sense. Um, <laughs> what are we going to talk about today, Thad? Uh, well, Dad, uh, we're going to talk about uh, St. Clement of Rome. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm Father Andrew Dickinson of uh, the Fat and Dad podcast. I'm Joshua Burks. I am the dad of Fat and Dad. And you know he's a dad because he actually waved, even though this is an audio oh podcast. Oh my goodness, I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Hey. Welcome. Uh, so this is our, uh, our full first uh, episode with one of the church fathers. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of sort of going in a chronological-ish order Best we can do. with uh, St. Clement of Rome. Uh, remembering that the Church Fathers are uh, non-scriptural writings, but from uh, some of them, especially some of the very early uh, Christians of the Church. Uh, Clement, uh, we'll talk more about him, but thought to be like the third or fourth Pope after uh, St. Peter, mm-hmm. after he was marred, after... Uh, St. Peter was martyred in Rome uh, and kind of uh, using the church fathers and looking at what was on their hearts and their minds and as they lived in the life of the faith to help form our hearts and minds in our own day today. Amen to that. Yeah, if you want some more grounding, if you're just hopping in on this episode and want a little more of an introduction, we do have an episode previous to this that introduces the church fathers uh, a little more elaborately. Uh, maybe not more polishedly, but at least elaborately. Uh, so yeah. we recommend a little more rambling, yeah. less wrestling, maybe. 
less wrestling, more rambling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we recommend that you check that out uh, if, if you want some more grounding before diving into St. Clement of Rome. Um, but for those of you, especially for those of you who are practicing Catholics and following along our, our journey of the Church Fathers, you, whether you know it or not, you probably know or at least have heard of Clement as Clement pops up in one of the Eucharistic prayers at Mass, right? Is it number one? I'm... You, yeah, you, uh, the first Eucharistic prayer, uh, often called the Roman Canon, mm-hmm. uh, names, uh, names, some of the, names the apostles and then names Clement in there as well. Uh, Peter, Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Clement. Sixtus, Cornelius, mm-hmm. Cyprian, Lawrence, mm-hmm. Chrysogonus, John and Paul, mm-hmm. Cosmos and Damien, and all, and the, all the, saints. the saints. I got that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you might have heard that name before. That's who we're talking about. It is that Clement, indeed. Uh, also, fun note about this Clement. Uh, Fat Fat is going to introduce us to who this Clement is, um, and a little bit of history about him, some fun facts. But this is also this Clement uh, is going back so early. It's why we're starting with him in the Church Fathers period. That Clement of Rome is even mentioned in Scripture, likely. The same Clement. Uh, you know, I, maybe someone could argue it's a different Clement. But at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he, uh, as he typically does, he mentions certain people that he wants to extend his greetings to. And a certain Clement is mentioned by St. Paul at the end of Philippians. Uh, and so many believe that this is the same Clement who was in, obviously, Paul's company, but of course, also in Peter's company, or at least Peter and his successor's company, uh, as he would succeed him as uh, Bishop of Rome. Uh, sorry, I got totally sidetracked as you were saying that because I wanted to look up the entomology etymology of the name Clement. Hmm. Um, did you get anywhere? Uh, yeah, so meaning like merciful, mm-hmm. uh, charitable, mild. It's very clement weather. Or up in uh, where I'm at, uh, we're recording this Friday after Ash Wednesday, and we had inclement weather mm. in South Dakota on Ash Wednesday. So non-mild, non-merciful huh. uh, weather. Fantastic. Does it does day. it have, and that's okay if not, does it have a, an origin to it? Because uh, I'm, you think of singing the Salve Regina, uh, there's the O Clemens, O Pia. Yep. So obviously it has Latin roots. Does it go even further with Greek Hebrew roots? I'm not noticing any Greek roots when what I'm finding so far just right off the top of the head as the saying might be yeah but uh, clemencia hmm. uh, calmness gentleness wonderful so all of you are invited to have a clementine orange as you walk through St. Clement right yeah pause go to the store <laughs> or listen as you're on your way to the store and get a clement that's a clementine yeah yeah same thing but on the uh, Wikipedia of the names, Pope Clement is listed as one of the earliest names mm-hmm. uh, of a Clement. Exactly. So he's got that going for yeah. him. Yeah. Way to go, Clement. So, so he was a uh, pope in Rome. Um, he uh, and this writing that we have of his, uh, written by him, we believe, when he was pope, and written to uh, the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth being a famous place where Paul uh, evangelized and also wrote at least two letters mm-hmm. uh, to uh, the church in Rome. Um, and yeah, uh, so he was uh, 
Bishop of Rome. Yeah. And so we can kind of think of this maybe as um, kind of like an apostolic exhortation or an encyclical letter, right? A a writing from a bishop or especially the Holy Father uh, who writes to a certain community uh, addressing a certain issue. Uh, we, we still have that in the Catholic Church today. Our Holy Father writes an apostolic exhortation after a certain gathering or meeting of bishops or a certain event in the world, maybe. Uh, so we, we take that here from the structure that we see in Clement, and Clement is following upon his, his biblical and apostolic predecessors as well. Yeah, that uh, Peter and other bishops wrote letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... um. There's a really cool tradition surrounding St. Clement and his, his memorial or his tomb that, that you were more aware of than I was. Uh, something about the rising tide, rising and lowering of oh, the waters. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so there's somewhat apocryphal, but that he uh, was apparently uh, exiled, I believe, by Tra- the emperor Trajan uh, up into Odessa. Uh, and there, which would be in the Black Sea, uh, he uh, was still kind of preaching the gospel and doing things that the pagan Roman power didn't like. And so they actually uh, martyred him by tying him to an anchor and throwing him into the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the story goes is that uh, once a year the tide recedes back low enough to see where he had died and that a miraculous chapel was built under the water to house his remains. Uh, under the water. How cool. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Another thing, thinking of that, just thinking of the martyrdom of Clement, um, you know, before even diving into his writing is... Did you just make a pun by saying diving into his writing? Oh, (laughs) no. That's great and a little bit cruel, but yeah, so before diving into a... Into, no, the, saint, the, the saints love their instrument of their martyrdom. There we go. They're praised by right. they're praised by the anchor. So tying an anchor to this and diving a little bit deeper into it is the fact that he was martyred. And the fact that he is likely mentioned in scripture as a companion to Peter and Paul and that he's the fourth pope. He's not just the successor to Peter, but it's Peter, Linus, Cletus, Clement. Uh, it, becoming... A bishop in the early church, let alone the bishop yeah. of Rome, the successor to Peter, was not uh, it was not an easy task. It, it was basically a death sentence when you're looking at it from the world's point of view. Um, so thank God for the faith of these early church fathers and especially bishops, because uh, if you were elected to this position, I, I think there would be a, an awareness that you would not be in your position long, given the persecution of the early church. Um, right. so obviously from his story that, that came to fruition by being thrown into the sea, but yeah, he's the fourth successor to Peter and already in such a rapid succession, we see how much, uh, the early persecution of the church really taking its toll on the, on the leaders of the church. Yeah. And I'm trying to think if I ever knew, uh, and I don't think I know listening off the top of my head is, um, how many, uh, how far do you have to go in the successories of St. Peter before you get a pope that wasn't martyred? Wow. That died a natural death. Oh, that'd be a fascinating study. I Honestly, it probably could take you into about the 4th century when the church actually became a legal entity. I would not be right, surprised. With Constantine. But sure. that, that would mean sure. literally hundreds of years of only martyred popes, if that's true. Yeah. Wow. Dude. So uh, let's, shall we like talk a bit about uh, Clement's actual letter to the church in Corinth? That'd be good. 
that'd be good. All right. So if you found a copy of it, again, you could like just, I think, uh, Josh, you're pulling from uh, New Advent. Yes, there are free copies. And this time I actually remembered to bring my book with me. So there, okay. there are many books, resources you can get at local bookstores or Amazon. But uh, especially the earlier these church fathers are, you can find them online. New Advent dot. Ah, I think it's .org off the top of my head. .org. Uh, is a great free resource for many of these writings. So I'll try and I'll post these links in the show notes as well uh, if you'd like to follow along. And I actually found a like 99 cent copy for Kindle. Nice. On that. Even though I I might have him like in some anthology I have from seminary, but I couldn't find that. Bringing Clement into the digital age. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about that for a moment that, uh, you know, he wrote probably like Papyrus and so, someone else maybe wrote for mm-hmm. him on Papyrus uh, with, I don't know, whatever ink it yeah. was that they used. And now where I'm like looking at it through electrons. Through a Kindle. <laughs> through a Kindle. Paper white. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm showing it to you listeners right now. Look yeah, at it. Yeah, can you see? <laughs> can you see? I'm waving. So Clement, what famously, there are some other documents that are ascribed to Clement, but the the cream that rises to the top is what is known as Clement's first letter, or even just letter to the Corinthians. Uh, this seems to be the least contested letter that does come from Clement himself. Uh, so it follows upon Saint Paul writing to the churches in in Corinth. Uh, we actually we see Clement cite Paul. Uh, to the, to the church in in Corinth, saying, "Do you not remember what the apostle Paul wrote to you?" So there's a there's a living tradition here that that Clement is already working within. He's not unaware of of Paul and the apostles' ministry that previously happened in the church in Corinth. Uh, but it really is a beautiful letter. It's a it's a I don't know as far as church fathers go, it's a medium read. Um, but it's 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 not you know like I'm thinking of the letters of Ignatius coming up. Uh, and sure. our, those are going to be very short compared to Clement, uh, but it's nothing like the apology of of Justin Martyr or something, as far as length. Or goes. like Irenaeus of Nones <laughs> yeah. against heresies. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, so as we crack open and, and summarize just some of the things that stood out to us, uh, what are what are some of the things that rose to the surface as you were reading through Clement's letter to the Corinthians? Well, uh, his great concern, his fatherly concern. Uh, for the unity of the church in Corinth, mm. right? Uh, you know, that he has just a fatherly concern for the church's unity there because, you know, what does a father want, but he wants his family to be together? Yeah. And uh, you know this, Dad, uh, that you uh, vigorously prosecute any discord uh, sowed by your children amongst themselves. Amen to that. Right. You know, uh, there's, uh, uh, but so, yeah, he, uh, throughout the whole thing, he's deeply concerned with their unity uh, as uh, a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's um, that's going to be a concern that we see really throughout a lot of these early church fathers. And it's really brought to the surface here in Clement, this issue of unity over and against uh writing a letter in order to to prove out a robust theology of our faith. Not that people were not doing this. There are church fathers who are doing this. There are bishops uh, who are doing this in the early church. But like you said, bringing those examples to the surface, if, if we have a church 
or think of it even just a parish where where members are clashing against members and there are divisions and factions and sections and um, disunity between the people or the people and the priest. What good would it be, Fad, if you went up to the pulpit and, and started explaining a robust theology of, you know, this or that in our faith? As, as a good pastor would do, uh, unity is, is the pressing issue of the early church, which, which makes sense. Um, the early church is an unprecedented entity. Uh, Jews are learning how to mingle with Gentiles. Gentiles are learning how to mingle with Jews in this brand new perspective for both of them of understanding Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And how do we do this together as this brand new community who are stitched together no longer by culture or by ethnicity, but now by faith? Yeah, they're living out. I mean, uh, Paul's words in his letter to the Galatians, you know, it's very beautiful. Uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but all are one, and a male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. But they're having to go through the messy reality of living that out. Yeah. And how do we live that out, and, and how do we do that? And we know that's not easily done. So, like, my parish assignment is in the city of Aberdeen, South Dakota, the hub city. And uh, there's two parishes uh, less than a half mile apart to serve this town of 25,000 people. Uh, and the reason that they're less than a half mile apart is, is one of them is Irish heritage, mm. one of them is German heritage. And the Irish uh, uh, heritage English speakers didn't want to have the German heritage German <laughs> speakers. Uh, they did, and the German speakers didn't want to have the Irish, sure. and so they, they have their own parishes. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in inner city uh, United States all over the place mm-hmm. where, you know, you go one block and you've got St. Patrick's, the Irish parish, and you go a couple blocks later and you have St. Anthony of Padua, the Italian parish. Mm-hmm. You go a couple blocks further, right, and you have St. Joan of Arc, the French parish, mm-hmm. and you go a couple blocks. And it's all in a very tight area, but they just, we want to be separate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... Clement comes to the surface. It, obviously, it's bad enough that Clement has to address it, uh, uniquely address it by way of writing to them. And so this is the, the fruition of that is this letter. Uh, one thing that we, we got to discuss previously at one point, Fad, uh, by way of touching base on Clement, but one of the things that, that came up to me, so I think ish, or the, the main issue is unity. Yeah. Um, Underwriting that issue of unity, he keeps on writing about this theme of envy uh, through, and he cites a lot of the Old Testament, you know, through envy, death entered the world. And and he talks about envy being this source of tension uh, between the members and, and churches that he's writing to. And what, what's your take on this? Because for, for me, or maybe for the modern Christian, we think of pride as the root of all sin. Uh, envy just isn't talked about as much as some other of these capital foundational sins that we wrestle with. Why is envy such, uh, such a big problem or problem that, that Clement has to address? Well, it's interesting because, you know, what we talk about pride as being like a father of sins, mm-hmm. um, in many ways, envy is maybe one of the second sins. Mm-hmm. You know, and he and Clem points that out in uh, chapter. I don't have the chapter on my notes. I have a chapter six, um, but I, I it's in a lot sure. of in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, so uh, right, so Cain and Abel. You know, Cain's envy of his brother Abel mm-hmm. uh, that Abel's sacrifice is acceptable, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's 
it's not. Uh, and so he, uh, or, and so, and so Cain feel, Cain's consumed with that envy and it drives him to that first fratricide mm. in that way. So envy of like wanting what someone else has or wanting to deprive them of what they have, mm. right? Uh, wanting them to go through suffering the loss of it mm. um, in that way. But, uh, you know, in our own days, we can think uh, one of our, uh, Josh and I's good friends, would often talk about how comparison is the thief of joy, yeah. right? And so I think we see that in our own day. But again, it's, it's, not, as, um, it's not as bold of a, of a, it's not as glamorous of a sin anymore. But also in some ways, I think because um, we're, uh, we're so materialistic, probably, that we just assume uh, in our American materialism that's natural to just be envious or jealous of what other people have. Yeah. Yeah, one, one thing that I was thinking of, uh, especially toward the beginning of what you were developing, is this, uh, this sin of envy. And through envy, death entered the world. And the fact that uh, even looking at the spiritual battle of, of our enemy, Satan, who could, could mm. we say is envious— of yeah. of our joy of Christian joy and if if I'm not I, I don't have the the source in front of me but Clement even mentions how the the other non Christians look in on the Christian community with envy uh, it's a right. it's a disdain for their spiritual good and right. um, yeah, Clement isn't addressing this specifically but but I found this to be a source of of um, consolation I guess that. That the devil's envy, that the devil actually doesn't take joy in seeing us suffer or, or separated from Christ because there is no joy for our enemy who is separated from Christ. So he just wants us to share in his misery. Right. Uh, it's not that he gets us to fall and he's really happy about it. Haha, <laughs> I succeeded. No, he's just a miserable person and he wants us to share in his misery. Misery loves company. Exactly. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the nature of envy, and that really helped me understand envy. That um, you know, in our portrayal, we're in a superhero fascination phase, right? Especially with cinema, right? And Marvel and DC and whatnot, and we kind of romanticize evil, uh, you know, bad guys, as as my kids call it. That 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 it's possible to take true joy in evil pursuit, but that's why I think Clement really t- kind of. S- takes the veil off of this um envy is is destructive it's like a virus it's it's disdainful and it it sows these seeds of disunity uh between the people between the people in their leadership uh between them and other churches yeah um you know just mindful of our time uh this flew by really fast yeah surprise faced uh from josh burks right there um I just would want to maybe, uh, so Clement does a lot on envy, obviously, and just it's discord and, and so many of the chapters around that. Again, but that's because uh, that's really what was going on. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to draw maybe to something near uh, the end of, uh, and just read to you maybe a little uh, snippet from near the end um, of uh, just a beautiful prayer mm-hmm. uh this is so chapter 60 uh, in here. Um, and so this is really just kind of a prayer that he's been addressing to the Lord. He's kind of still writing it to the Corinthians, but he's talking to the Lord uh, here. 
Thou didst make to appear the enduring fabric of the world by the works of thy hand. Thou, Lord, didst create the earth on which we dwell. Thou who art faithful in all generations, just in judgments, wonderful in strength and majesty, with wisdom creating, and with understanding fixing the things which are made, who art good among them that are being saved, and faithful among those who trust in thee. O merciful and compassionate one, forgive us our iniquities and offenses and transgressions and trespasses. Reckon not every sin of thy servants and handmaids, but thou wilt purify us with the purification of thy truth and direct our steps, that we may walk in holiness of heart and do what is good and well-pleasing in thy sight and in the sight of our rulers. Uh, and he goes on a little bit more there. But mm. to me, I was just so uh, struck by just how beautifully and poetically he just writes uh, in praise of God, and and also I think fulfilling the second role of uh, the Holy Father, one as the Holy Father, the Pope, to be concerned with unity, but then number two, uh, to intercede on behalf of the people. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, it's a very liturgical ending, I, I think. It, it almost sounds like a mass that you would, or a, that a prayer that you would read at the end of one of our great feasts at Mass. Uh, so, yeah, it's a beautiful kind of opening up of his heart uh, as as person, Clement, but also as the figure of the head of the church, as the shepherd of the church, really interceding for that. That was well said. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, and, and, and listeners, keep in mind, it's writing like this that actually forms the tradition of the yeah. church. It's writing like this that actually forms... Uh, what we inherit, what we in some ways maybe take for granted mm -hmm. uh, in our daily prayer and life as Catholic Christians. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Clement. Anything? Thank you, Clement. Any other last things from you on Clement? I think we might have a minute or so Yeah, left. the last thing that, that really jumped out to me is this need in responding to unity. It's this liturgical need for unity in that uh, Jesus Christ established a, a visible church, a visible community that centers around the fellowship of the apostles. And as Jesus himself teaches, and as later, like the, uh, the first letter of John teaches, if we have fellowship with the apostles, the apostles have fellowship with Jesus, and Jesus has fellowship with the Father. It's this, it's this unbreakable thread of unity. And so there's a, there's a liturgical element. There's a, there's a church, ecclesial element to what... Um, Clement isn't just writing out of social concern or out of just you know merely disconcerned morals and ethics. You, you should be better people. <laughs> no, this. Why can't we just get exactly, along? Exactly right. This has right. to do with our unity with the Father. Like your unity is the visible unity of Jesus Christ and His Church on Earth, and and our unity yeah. with the Father. Yeah, that's a, a that's a great point. That it's not just. Um, I always think of that uh, 1960s, 70s song. You know, uh, come on, people, now smile on your brother. Everybody, get together. <laughs> Try to love one another. You know that no. One? Did you sing that while you were watching Monday Night Wrestling? <laughs> no, that goes, that's music I heard from my parents, man. Oh, man. But uh, anyways, it's a real song. Mm. Um, yeah, the 60s, man. Maybe it was a Forrest Gump soundtrack or something like Wonderful. that. But, we'll put uh, it in the show notes. Yeah. But, uh, please, Misery loves company. Uh, show that I'm not insane. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, so he's, he's not just saying, like, let's just get along. No, there's, like, a deeper reason to the getting along, yeah. if you yeah. will. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just like the sign of peace at Mass 
is more than just simply a chance to shake your neighbor's hand <laughs> yeah. and get germs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, really, the sign of peace of mass is supposed to be an expression of the communion that we first have with Christ through the reconciliation of sins that mm-hmm. he brings between us, that he bridges between us and the Father. Sure. Yeah, that's a great example, one we can apply uh, after listening to this, taking into our next Mass. Wonderful. Just don't sing that song. Okay. <laughs> Easy. Uh, well, if you have, if you had the chance to, to, to listen and things stood out to you, or perhaps you were able to read uh, all of Clement or portions of Clement and things stood out to you, uh, let us know. We, we want to know. So if, if you want to dialogue with us, visit our, our page on SoundCloud. We're the Fad and Dad podcast. Uh, and you can uh, even comment to, to certain episodes. So in the, in the comment section for episode two in St. Clement of Rome, we, we want to know your thoughts. Uh, you can also, we ask that you help spread the word on this podcast. So if you can like, share, and do all the trendy things that help get things out to other people. Uh, that'd be helpful, and do that, uh, and do that wherever you listen to your podcasts. So uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, wherever in the world you might be listening to this, uh, do that, and that would be a big help. Amen. Well, thank you for making this journey with us. Next week, we're going to our next episode. Rather, we'll drop that in two, two weeks. Two weeks for next episode. Yeah, uh, will be the letter of Saint Ignatius of Antioch, his letter to the Ephesians. So boom, and that'll start like a seven-week run of the letters of Saint yeah, Ignatius of Antioch. That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Deep dive. So I can put a link to that in the show notes as well, uh, if you'd like a free copy, online copy of Ignatius' letter to the Ephesians. Boom. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with. God bless you. God bless. Bye.